where the spoiler is that everything we talk about actually happened. This is the teacher edition episode, so this provides lesson plan ideas and insights into what to teach. If you just want to go to the next story about what happened in history, go ahead and skip to the next episode. If you're a teacher or interested in these resources, I'm your teacher, Tasha Salisbury. This podcast provides lesson ideas for teachers and an entertaining, classroom-friendly lecture for students. Ready? Let's get started. And remember, spoiler alert, these are ideas you can actually use in your classroom. This episode is about historical thinking and activities to help you engage your class and set expectations for what kind of historians you want your students to be. So the one thing I want to get out of the way first is that I often use the terms historical thinking or inquiry thinking when talking to my students about evaluating sources or information. Given recent events, I have found this extremely helpful. So something you should know is that I taught in a very conservative part of Utah. I am a younger woman of color, so as you can imagine, my motives in teaching were questioned by parents, basically constantly. If my lessons tend to err on the side of caution, it's because I'm giving you the benefit of my experience with, as your admin might say, keeping the stakeholders happy, while also trying to inspire my students to question things and think for themselves. I began using the terms historical thinking and inquiry thinking because the English department at my school was full of rock stars who taught a unit about critical thinking. This meant that my students would do what yours probably do. They would whine. Why do we have to do critical thinking? That's what we do in English. This is history. We shouldn't have to do this in here. Now, obviously, I could say that critical thinking was a skill they needed in all aspects of their lives, but I learned to just avoid the discussion altogether by saying that we were learning how to think like historians and ask questions of our sources. I would point out that in history, we are basically inquiring or asking the dead to tell us what happened from their point of view. This seemed to keep my students much happier. Now, I have found that using these terms has also saved me a lot of grief lately. As you might have heard, you know, just a little because you teach history or social studies, critical race theory has been getting a lot of attention. I'm not going to go into how to deal with problems associated with critical race theory in this particular episode, but I will address it. That being said, I'm sure that you know someone or you yourself might have dealt with parents who have questioned if you are teaching critical race theory in your class. One of my friends said that in her course disclosure, she stated that one of her goals was to teach critical thinking. Now, you and I both know that critical thinking and critical race theory are not the same thing. However, parents read that one same word, critical, and freaked out. My friend got emails from parents asking what exactly she meant by teaching critical thinking and asking why she would teach that to her students. Now, if you're like me, you roll your eyes and you think that some people are absurd and it's unbelievable what teachers, especially social studies and humanities teachers, have to put up with. However, if you want to avoid this, you can avoid saying critical thinking by saying historical thinking or inquiry thinking. Basically, it's altering a word to save yourself some grief. When I would teach historical thinking, I would always do it at the beginning of a new term when I had new students. However, you can teach it at any time. It's a good thing to teach if your kids are just burned out or if you can tell that they need a refresher about how to evaluate sources. 
The first lesson that I would do with students was a CSI activity. Link to this episode is a Teachers Pay Teachers link for the clues and worksheets that I would use. I will try to always provide you with cheap or free resources to use with every lesson because I know that you're teachers and let's face it, you're poor and you're busy. Now, I'm sure you've seen these kind of CSI lessons before, but I basically set up my room as a crime scene. I would make a body outline with masking tape and block it off with caution tape. Masking tape is one of those amazing things you should always keep around your classroom because it's cheap and it's versatile. The caution tape I bought on Amazon for like five bucks and I used it three times a year for five years. I even let the other teachers in my department use it and I still have tons of it. It's a cheap resource and it's fun to put up because the kids get really engaged when they see it. Now with this activity, I would send students around the room to read the clues and then they had to make an inference about what each clue meant. So if they found a transcript of a text exchange, they might infer that it meant the victim had a good relationship with someone. Maybe they would ask, was the victim a good person? What was the victim doing at this particular place? Then they had to write a police report for me that was basically a short story about what happened to the victim. I told them to be as creative as they wanted. They just had to make sure that they used the clues to support their story. So with that explanation, and letting the kids work, this activity always took at least two class periods that were about 50 minutes long. Part of the reason that it took so long was because I almost never assigned homework. So not assigning homework wasn't some stance against homework culture. It was just acceptance on my part that most of my students wouldn't do homework. A lot of them had jobs after school and most of them were doing some sort of extracurricular activity. The other thing is almost all of them would tell me well, if I only have time for homework in one class, I'm going to do my math homework. We've all been there if you're a social studies teacher. We know that education culture and culture in the United States in general values math and science and really any tested subject far above social studies, no matter how important social studies is in the real world. And of course, weirdly, our kids absorb the values of the culture around them. Anyway, that's why you'll find that I recommend a lot of class time for activities and work, but you do what works for you as far as timing goes. My suggestions are based on where I taught. So back to the activity. My students always loved this activity and I love doing it at the beginning of a term because I could wander the room while they worked and I would talk to kids and get to know them and learn their names. I also loved reading the stories that they came up with. At the end, they always begged to know the answer. What actually happened to the victim? I would always listen to some of their stories, and then after I had a majority of the assignments turned in, I would tell them that all of their stories were right, as long as they used the evidence and could support it. This would always lead to a discussion about how solving a crime is like writing history. Everyone can have the same evidence, but that doesn't mean that everyone would tell the same story. We would talk about how these reasons are, why sometimes historians don't agree. It was always a fun discussion, and you could see students making connections and getting excited about class. The lecture that goes along with this activity talks about how historians and archaeologists work together. I also talk about ways historians think and draw conclusions. So I'd like to suggest one more activity that can be used in your classrooms. There's an article written by anthropologist Horace Minor. It's called The Body Ritual of the Nasarema. If you go to spoileralerthistory.org, I have linked this article there for free. This article examines a group that lives in the area between Canada and the Caribbean, which of course is the United States. 
We talk about when it was published and where. And we also talk about if Horace Minor is a source that we can trust. Then students take notes as we read the article as a class. For me, their notes were always a clarification of terms that they might not know, as well as their reactions to this strange and foreign culture. Now, I would read this article with them and purposely explain things like this was a horrifying and weird culture. A magic man who drills holes in other people's teeth? Terrifying. A medicine man who jabs you with magically treated needles? Absolutely barbaric. Men lacerating and scraping their faces daily? Who are these absolute heathens? Now, I also blacked out some parts of the article and told kids that it went into too much detail about customs that we weren't going to focus on or things that were particularly barbaric. Some of these were actually just things that I didn't think they could handle seriously or that I felt like would give away the secret. In five years of doing this activity, I only ever had two students figure out that we were talking about Americans, which is, of course, Nasarema spelled backwards. This article is really wordy, and reading it aloud and helping the kids annotate and understand took us at least an hour or more. After we were done reading, I would have the kids write a reaction to this group, explaining what they thought about them and if they would like to meet them. Then I would blow their minds. I would tell them that our school had a collection of Nasarema artifacts that we were going to go look at. They were always thrilled to hear that we had something that was of historical value. Then I would slip on my Indiana Jones hat. Yes, I do have one of those hats. And I would play tour guide. We would go into the halls of our school, and I would point out things that were Nasarema artifacts. Our library? Well, that's a holding cell for Nasarema knowledge. The school itself? A prison where young Nasarema were indoctrinated into Nasarema culture. The cars in the parking lot? Nasarema chariots that could only be driven after a ritual where an adult and adolescent Nasarema were in the car together and the adult used curses and prayed. Braces? A Nasarema torture device. And, of course, the bathrooms? A Nasarema ritual center where they sacrificed things to the gods and the girls and boys practiced their mating dance in reflective surfaces. Anyway, you get the idea. I was pretty goofy and would introduce things about... American culture that could be looked at in an entirely different way. Usually by the end of this tour, my class was giggling like crazy. They sometimes would point out other things as we walked through the halls, like young Nasarema who had treasure boxes in the wall. They of course meant their lockers. When we got back to class, I would ask them what they thought about the Nasarema now. It was always hilarious to hear what they had noticed and to hear them phrase it like I had been phrasing things in the hall. I would then point out that Nasarema was actually American spelled backward and ask them to explain what some of the things in the article were. They would then start to make the connections. A holy mouth man? Of course, that's a dentist. The medicine man? A doctor. Duh. Sometimes they feel very sheepish and I have to tell them that I have had student teachers read this article and be equally horrified by this unknown group. They seem to feel much less silly after I tell them that. In order to keep the ruse alive, I tell them to tell the next hour that they are going to learn about these barbarians, and to tell the younger grades that they are going to also get to learn about this awful group. Now, my students loved being part of the conspiracy and were thrilled to trick someone else into believing what they had just believed. I always have a number of kids who ask for a copy of the article so that they can take it home to their parents. They always come back the next day laughing really hard and telling me how they tricked their parents into believing that this group was so awful, only to reveal at the end that it's just us. 
This article is, of course, the perfect segue to talk about biases and deficit and empathetic views of history. It's also nice because we can talk about source reliability and evaluating the past. And it's a great way to present it without parents getting offended. They are as amused as their children are by this portrayal of history. These two activities are incredibly fun and students love them. I have had students come back to visit and tell me that they still remember these activities from years ago and they think about them often, which of course makes me smile. The last suggestion I want to make has nothing to do with lessons, but everything to do with building a good learning community and making your school year as a teacher easier. My suggestion is this. At the beginning of the year, try to email or send a note to the parents or guardians of every student in your class. Thank them for letting their student be in your class, tell them something you've noticed and like about their student, and express how excited you are for the coming year or term with this particular child. The note doesn't have to be long and it doesn't have to be fancy. Try and get it done the first month of school. I found that faculty meeting was a great time to write these notes. It sounds time consuming but it really doesn't take too terribly long. What this does is it lets parents know that I saw their student and I valued them. It also allowed my first interaction with parents to be a positive one. This is an especially important thing to do for students that you can tell are going to be, you know, extra hard to love. I found that what happened with those kids and their parents was that their parents knew I cared and they thanked me for loving their kid. The other thing that happened was that when I did have to contact them about something their student was doing, I didn't get met with opposition or a denial that their student would ever do something like that. Instead, parents became my allies. They knew I loved their kid, but they also knew we had to work on this together. Also, this was wonderful for kids who were really shy. They suddenly started talking in my class and interacting because they felt seen. Their parents would tell them that I had sent an email home saying how much I loved them. I also tried to email parents when their kids had done something good in my class, like gotten the highest test score or made a comment that the other kids really loved. I set aside 10 minutes every day to email parents and it absolutely revolutionized my class and the support I got from home. I can't recommend this strategy enough, especially if you're a new teacher. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and to follow us on social media. If you feel like this is something that's a helpful resource or just fun to listen to, please tell your friends and family about us. Or, you know, random people on the street. You can also find more ideas and resources at spoileralerthistory.org. If you want to support us and get perks like ad-free episodes and help us to provide you with even more resources, you can give at patreon.com. Tune in next time for when we talk about how to teach human migration to the Americas. This has been Spoiler Alert History, and everything we talk about you can actually use in your classroom. Stay tuned for part two of this episode, where I provide a lecture that can accompany the activities that I talked about here. All material was created by me, Tasha Salisbury. This podcast was produced and edited by Tasha Salisbury. The theme song, Quiet Uprising, was performed by Cast of Characters and provided courtesy of Soundstripe.